Welcome to episode 20 of the Husky International series, where I interview producer Fredrik Granat about his work documenting polar bears on Svalbard. I stumbled upon his fantastic Instagram account about two years ago and contacted him. And when we finally got the chance to meet up in Stockholm, we sat down to record this interview at the Acast studio. Both me and Fredrik are Swedish, but since most of the work that Fredrik is doing together with his German partner Melissa Schäfer is in English, and since the majority of their audience is international, we decided to do it all in English, and quite frankly, their work and mission concerns the entire planet. If you still don't use the Acast podcast app, this episode might be a good reason to give it a try, since I will post some of Melissa's and Fredrik's photos from Svalbard during the interview. My name is Magnus Ormestad, and this is the Swedish outdoor podcast Husky. Husky is supported by the new Holiday Club in Åre and by Naturkompaniet. Every year, Naturkompaniet donates the equivalent of 1% of all the purchases made by its members to one cause for the environment or for outdoor life in general. They call that the nature bonus. As an example, the money for last year's nature bonus financed the construction of a brand new emergency refuge at 2,040 meters elevation on the highest peak in Sweden, Kebnekaise. As a member, you can help direct this fund by voting for one out of ten initiatives. All of the initiatives and more information about this project can be found at naturkompaniet.se. Find out more about this episode and of previous episodes at huskypodcast.com. Um, uh, one of one of the uh, one of the standard questions, uh, usually because the the answer is is most of the time is quite amusing to listen to. Is where is home for you? Oh, that's a very good question. Be- because the, the people I tend to interview, they they usually they don't have a. Uh, uh, ordinary life. They usually don't live an ordinary life with an ordinary ordinary postbox or something. So, mm. I would say up until uh, one or two years ago, I would say Svalbard. Uh, but the answer now is Melissa, my my everything, my woman. She's my home. Um, you know, people say your home is is where your heart is, and, and uh, in my case, it's true. It's the family of the dog. Yeah, and the little doggy, uh, <laughs> Nanook, uh, crazy seven-month-old uh, Samoyed, Samoyed yeah. <laughs> puppy. Uh, the kind of dog that anything warmer than like 20 negative degrees is, is a bit too uh, warm. Yeah, pretty much. She, she loves the snow. We've had quite a lot of snow here now the last uh, couple of months here in, in Stockholm. So she's been... Very happy. I've heard. I've heard a friend. A friend told me uh, who also has a Samoyed that uh, at least her dog. It, it's overly excited as soon as the dog gets to play with other Samoyed yeah. uh, or like similar dog. That, that that she can really tell the difference. Like uh, an ordinary dog, she's not that excited. But as soon as there's another like Arctic companion, they're like super stoked. Yeah, I think. I think that might be true. You know, around Stockholm, there aren't too many polar dogs, but yeah, 
she has a husky favorite buddy uh, at home uh, who we meet sometimes and um, which is very fitting for this podcast yeah of course <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah i think it's true yes i mean she's still a puppy you know she's mm. she's excited over uh, everything know, everything basically a leaf a stick you know passing car bicycles <laughs> <laughs> and all other dogs, of course. But the plan is to uh, she will accompany you, going, well, going. Yes, uh, eventually. Uh, we're not sure about this winter. Um, we'll be going up to Svalbard now in a few weeks, um, and we'll more or less uh, stay there until uh, early June. Um, and the I don't know. Uh, the plan originally was to bring her with us and. Uh, keep her with friends in the village in, in Longyearbyen when we when we go out to our polar bears. Uh, but we'll see. I'm not sure. Maybe we leave her here in Sweden this yeah. winter. I guess we can probably return to that question later about living with the polar bears. Yeah. Um, the second standard question that also very often uh, brings out interesting or and difficult replies is what do you do for a living <laughs> if you if you end up right next to someone at a at a wedding party for instance and they ask you so so what do you do mm. what's the typical reply well the very short answer is uh, i work with f- uh, photography and film in the arctic uh, yeah um you did not grow up in uh, in an Arctic region, really? No. Uh, I was born in Stockholm, but then um, quite soon me and my mother moved uh, up north in Sweden. So I spent uh, most of my childhood um, up north uh, in Sweden, and all free time and all holidays uh, we were out uh, skiing or I have nature in me from from my childhood pretty much and then we moved back to Stockholm when I was um, I don't know 14, 15 or so So you had elements in your childhood that kind of pointed to a possible life in yeah. It doesn't come as a total shocker. No, not at all. I mean, I, I lost that kind of when, when we moved back to Stockholm and I um, yeah grew older um, I kind of lost that for a bunch of years, um, but then you know, the circle kind of closed, and I came, it all came, came together. Yeah, it all it all came together. Um, did you have any uh, early uh, daydreaming or impressions or role models, uh, visions of, of 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 something that some a life that you you are living now? Like, did you dream of adventures, and did you read about polar expeditions and and so on? Uh, not much, actually. Um, I started reading about the Arctic uh, and about the Antarctica, uh, about the polar worlds, uh, and of course the polar heroes and, and the explorers. They come into that, but um, I'm not much of an adventure guy, really. You know, I, I don't... Um, you know, like when I went to Kebnekaise, for example, the first time, which is the highest mountain in Sweden, uh, which it's not an, a difficult mountain to climb, really. But, you know, people who come there, they want to get up on top and say, hey, I've been here. I've been here. But when when I was there, 
uh, I was thinking, hmm, you don't really see Kebnek Kaiser from the top. So we went up to the mountain next to it, which <laughs> is like 20 meters lower or something. <laughs> So I actually saw Captain Kaiser, the, <laughs> the top of it. Uh-huh. So, you know, um, I don't know. You know, the adventure is—it's kind of part of uh, everyday life up there. But yeah. adventure—I don't know. I have a friend in America who worked uh, National Geographic. She, she—I think she said, uh, when you come across adventure, it's—it's it's because you've been bad at planning. Um, yeah, I've heard. I've heard. Adventure starts as something as soon as something goes wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, an, another take on on someone who uh, who likes adventure, I guess, could also be that a person that needs a certain element of uncertainty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I mean, you can translate that to uh, I don't know upbringing or like education or, or working in other areas. You don't you don't like physically have to risk your life, but mm. perhaps you need something out of the ordinary. And I'm guessing that you might be that kind of person. Absolutely, uh, that kind. If we're talking about that kind of adventure, definitely. Uh, I like uncertainty. Um, I like to go to places where we don't really know to ex- what to expect. Um, you know, uh, there is the, that's another quote. What's her name? Hannah Block, I think. Also, National Geographic. She said, "When you take away uncertainty, you take away motivation. Hmm. Um, there is no point in going where other people have been." Yeah, not entirely true, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> the, you can extract elements from that. Too. Yeah, yeah. Um, because you uh, you came to Stockholm and that's like that started the period of your life where you uh, you were kind of away from from nature, far away from nature. far away from nature. Yeah. You uh, uh, you can tell us what you, you ended up. We were working. You were working with uh, well, advertising and design, basically, yeah. um, for a bunch of years. Is, uh, is, was that? I'm sorry. Was that um, also like the? Uh, I don't know the. Um, Uh, uh, are you a, do you have like an artist within you or like are you interested in are you interested in art and the uh, the visual yes visual yes, art yes, I am definitely definitely and that's also also how the whole thing in the Arctic started um, you know a fascination with the beauty up there uh, so yes I do so I was working with that for uh, a few years and was, as you said, very far from nature. Because uh, you were living in, like, New York even. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, back and forth. New York, Paris, Amsterdam for a few years. Uh, living what some people might say kind of a b- bad life, you know, lots of late nights and restaurants and clubs and bars and very little sleep. Um Quite far from from uh, the pack ice, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you think led to uh, to the breakup with your with your old life? Did you uh, did you have like a, a voice within you that that you know started to to tell you stuff? Yeah, a little bit, uh, a little bit like that, um, and then. Um, Yeah, I went on some some uh, trip up to Lofoten, northern Norway, with uh, the orcas. Um, 
and went in the water with them and started snorkeling. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, it's amazing. It's How amazing. was that? Like uh, the the moment. Of, I've had friends who've done it as well, hmm. and uh, I remember one friend told me like the second like when they started to approach. Yeah. <laughs> he he started thinking. Okay, so this could be a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I didn't have. You know, when I went into into the water the first time, of course. Yeah, that that was what I was thinking. Also, I mean, they are uh, kind of the polar bears of the sea, yeah. of the ocean. Um, but yeah, I had this moment. That I was looking down into the you know deep dark water uh, this mother orca with her little calf uh, came from from the deep 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 ocean uh, straight towards me looking mm. me straight in the eye yeah slow you know uh, with checking her, you out yeah with her little calf kind of circling around her uh, closer and closer and closer and she How came close? yeah i don't know she almost touched me you know wow. it was like i don't wow. know but 1 meter maybe yeah. i'm not sure but that moment, um, I don't know, something happened. Something happened. And then uh, I think just a few months after that, uh, I went to Svalbard for the first time, uh, knowing very little about it, actually. Uh, almost nothing. And had a, a tent in my backpack, uh, like a 200 kroner, you know, $20 tent. Uh, silver colored in my in my backpack <laughs> made for like festivals yeah at the best <laughs> um, yeah and that that tent blew to pieces the first night actually <laughs> but that's how it started um, going back to the orcas I think isn't it because they go there to the northern like northern Norway to feed on like mackerels or something. Yeah, yeah. And so they are like full. They are yeah. super full. So yeah. they do not pose a threat because they eat so much of the of the fish. Definitely. If they would be uh, on other in other areas, they might be a bit more hungry. Possible, possible. Uh, I mean, they eat seals and things, bigger yeah. creatures down uh, down south, like in Argentina, for yeah. example. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know. Uh, the thing about whales also is that they have a level of intelligence that we cannot comprehend. You know, they they might be twice as intelligent as us, but maybe in a little different way. Yeah. Um, so the, yeah, that's quite interesting. I mean, orcas have been seen, you know, attacking blue whales. They kill the great white. You know, they have no enemies, um, but they don't attack us. I think that's um, no, I think in- it's, interesting and beautiful. <laughs> it's, pr- it's probably, uh, probably maybe not only, but um, been like a couple of times when they have attacked or or harmed humans. But that's been, I think that has been in captivity. Yeah, I yeah, think. yeah, uh, exactly. So it's kind of they yes. kind of brought that upon themselves. In yes, a way. yeah, definitely. Did you, did you get so, a when they did you get like eye contact? Did you get a like a, a sensation or a feeling or? I had the feeling of eye contact. Yes, oh. definitely. Wow. Um, I mean, I have friends who have way, way, way more experience with with orcas than I do. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I shouldn't be talking too much about uh, how <laughs> what, what they think or feel or, or so on. But uh, it was amazing. It was um, it was a, a game changer for me, life changing moment. Uh, what kind of reactions did you get from from friends and family, like friends from from the quote unquote old world when you uh, 
started this kind of rebranding of yourself, <laughs> and, <laughs> buying tents and, yeah. and going to the Arctic? Uh, that's a good question, you know. I kind of just uh, disappeared into it, um, actually. And that's, you know, a thing with uh, this life, this this kind of work. Um, because here, th this is a work which is as much life as it is work. You know, they go hand in hand. Um, the one thing is that, you know, you sacrifice a lot. Um, you do. You know, I've been um, spending a lot of time in the field up there. I've had years when I think one year I spent more or less 10, 10 months out of 12 um, in the field. Um, and it's, you know, a bit different year to year. But I spent a lot of time there, so, you know, I basically disappeared from, from the radar. And it's just now recently, you know, after I uh, met Melissa, that I have kind of started to try to get in touch with, you know, and start hanging out with old friends. Like, uh, hey, remember me? Yeah. <laughs> and I had my my best friend, actually, from from uh, uh, from uh, from before... Uh, Matthias uh, <laughs> came and visited on, on Svalbard last winter, okay. and we went out um, a few days, which was uh, wonderful. So, and that's also the thing now that uh, with um, this new life and a growing family and so on, that um, we will be doing things a bit differently than before. Um, less time in the field, of course. Um, you know, not 10 months, but maybe two. <laughs> and, Just a quickie. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, well, not a quickie, you know, uh, but uh, not 10 months. Um, and the other thing, of course, now is that will be, you know, I will not take any chances or risks out there at all. Uh, because now my life uh, matters. Uh, Has a different meaning now. Completely different meaning. Um, how was the... Uh, because you, you kind of rediscovered this passion for nature and you kind of discovered the Arctic regions and Svalbard. Um, and I guess you started to, I don't know, to form some kind of manifest or a project or a mission of some sort. Yeah. Um, how was that description? Well, in the beginning, it, it was um, mostly about how incredibly beautiful it is up there. Uh, the ice, um, you know, it took a few, a couple of years before I actually started uh, getting close to polar bears, uh, which is the main focus right now. But yeah, in the beginning, it was more of uh, more about the the beauty uh, of the world up there. You know, it's it's like, um, I don't know, you know, the, the, the first time you kind of land there and you step out of the airport and, and you see all, all this, it's like landing on the moon, basically. That That's how it was to me. Um, and they talk about this, uh, it's called the polar bug, right, that kind of catches on to, to anyone who's been there, you know. They you got to come back. Yeah, it's true. Mm. You know, I I I, I was badly infected, and I'm I'm sick for life, <laughs> and I love it. So, but that's how it began. You know, describing the 
the world of ice up there, um, showing the beauty of it. But was it the kind um, of, and, and now I mean that in a good way, I mean this in a good way, that was it the ad man in you that kind of, okay, so I, how could I form a project for this? And that's, the, yes, that's uh, kind of, yes, uh, how it began, I would say, yeah. But, you know, then pretty quickly as you kind of uh, get into it and you kind of become part of the ecosystem up there, um, um, you start to realize certain things and you start to understand what is happening there. And uh, pretty soon it became clear what is happening. Uh, we're, of course, talking about global warming. Um, people have heard about this, you know, uh, a zillion times. Everyone knows what's happening. Um, but when you are there and you've witnessed this with your own eyes, especially on a year-to-year -year basis, you spend a lot of time there and you see what what happens over time. It's um, it's brutal. Um, so of course. Um, that changed, you know, everything about uh, how I was, um, you know, looking at things, and how to approach things, and um, yeah, how, how to define the work and the projects and the goals and so on. And the and the project is is consisting of, of people as well. It's like a, it, it, you kind of assembled a team, or there was an assembly of a team, and uh, and you took the role. You you ended up being like the kind of a, a kind of the, the coordinator uh, or sort of yeah. you know people ask what's your title and yeah. uh, <laughs> I still have to kind the of visionary. think for uh, yeah that sounds good though <laughs> polar you, visionary, visionary. Yeah. yeah that's on your no your I don't know card. I don't know producer or something <laughs> yeah you know uh, think of uh, create create the project you know build the project and then take it out there uh, spread the word. Um, uh, use, using but visual though, images. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Still uh, photos and yes, mostly still photos. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, talking about climate change and global warming, as I said, everyone knows that it's happening. So, and the the newspapers and, and the internet and, and you know everything is full of daily reports and figures and facts and graphs and, and headlines about what's happening. Everyone knows it. So the question then is how to make people actually do something about it. Um, and I think the the important thing then is to make people feel something, to make them care. Um, and those, you know, might be big words, but, you know, basically that's what everyone in nature photography is doing. Uh, and there is a lot of great people out there doing some amazing work. And um, hopefully we're one of them, you know, um, reconnecting people with nature um, and make them feel because you only fight for what you love. Uh, and make people, you know, understand that this planet we're on is, is it's our home. It's the only home we have. If we fuck this up, we have nowhere to go. Um, and what makes uh, the Arctic so special in this, of course, is that that's where uh, you see global warming first. You see it the most clear. And it's a very 
simple and clear message uh, and also image when ice turns to water and a, a child understands that. Um, and then up in the Arctic on top of the food chain you have this beautiful amazing creature uh, the king of the Arctic the polar bear um, who is you know the most powerful being on this planet but at the same time it is the most vulnerable because it's in, in its entire life circles around this Yes, uh, it's so deeply interconnected with the the ice, basically. Yeah, uh, the polar bear needs the ice yeah. to survive. That's where where uh, where he finds uh, the food. Yeah, nowhere else. Uh, you know, they get stranded on land now during a summer, which becomes longer and longer, where you have you know months without any sea ice, and many of them become trapped on land. Uh, where they try to find food, they eat uh, bird eggs and whatever they find, uh, you know, dead reindeers or whatever on land. But it's it's like peanuts. Yeah. Um, and one or two bears might, you know, do all right by that, but not the polar bear as a species. No. They, they need, need the the fatty seals. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No ice, no ice bear. It's very simple. Mm. Um, and also, what you know, it's a. It's a big complex uh, scenario all of this the, the polar bear needs the ice but it also needs access to land mm. because that's where they give birth oh, yeah. um, and uh, the longer the distance between the ice and land becomes the more difficult it, it becomes the polar bear is an amazing swimmer that's one thing you know they can um, they can swim Long, 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 long distances. There are many scientists who do, uh, you know, great work uh, up there. And on some bears, they put these GPS colors. So, I know there was one bear who, I think, it swam for eight or nine straight days, uh, traveling wow. over I don't know three, four time zones, uh, without a problem, basically. Uh, we're not talking about a swimming pool. It's the Arctic Ocean with yeah. <laughs> with everything that what that means. Uh, but the thing then is that cubs cannot swim, um, and they cannot survive for long in the in the cold water because they don't have the fat. So even if the a po a pregnant polar bear mother could find land and give birth, once she gets out of the den, she needs immediate access to ice. So. Hmm. Uh, they need the ice, but they also need land. Uh, going back to uh, when you started working with a project like this, you uh, like how do you go about planning everything? Because I guess there's a lot of besides the uh, kind of the the the, the statement around the, the the project, you also need a lot of practical knowledge. Yeah. Um, like fill in the blanks, sort of. Mm. And I guess that you, uh, the team, had, had quite a lot of blanks. Like starting. It was up. a big blank. <laughs> uh, how did you go about like learning to uh, <coughs> to not only be there, but to move move about these areas and, and staying there and getting close to these animals and learning by doing. I would say completely, um, completely. It started with that. Uh, silver colored tent you know that I talked about um, 
and you know month by month year by year you, you get better at what you do um, so yeah completely self-taught um, both when it comes to you know traveling around um, and uh, just being out there and also of course with the, the interaction and life with the, the polar bears um, it just comes you know and yeah. of course there you know there's been some mishaps <laughs> during the during the way some accidents and some some bad shit uh, but um, but I guess in a way it's it's also a, a matter of a mindset yeah um, what kind of attitude to you have towards the project and 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 the 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 nature up there like you can't be too cocky no you gotta you gotta stay extremely humble otherwise you will end up in absolutely problem. completely true uh, you need to be very humble and you need to realize who is the boss up there and it's uh, actually not the polar bear it's nature itself um you know i've met i don't know probably a thousand polar bears up close but have never really had a like a really dangerous um, incident uh, while working with them anyway out on the sea ice but all the um, the accidents and, and uh, all dangerous situations have been with uh, nature and uh, geography uh, glacier traveling over glaciers um, you know being out on the sea ice and, and have it break up into small pieces all around you uh, while standing with a 1000 kilo equipage of you know snowmobiles and sleds and things um <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. a hassle. It's a hassle. Yeah. Uh, could you form like a, a very short list of of the like primary, the, like the biggest obstacles when it comes to like the logistic part of uh, working like that? Ooh, it can't be a short list, can it? No, no, no. <laughs> that, that's the thing. You know, you need a thousand things, oh. um, and every little thing is almost equally important. Um, and you also need to plan always plan and be prepared for the worst scenario so you know from from socks to underwear to undergarments uh, every little thing you have from clothing to all the you know weapons and and uh, you know snowmobiles sledges uh, tents sleeping bags everything and co- every, cooking and, equipment and everything gets affected by the cold of course yeah the, exactly uh, the, the wind and the cold yeah uh, the biggest fears um, like initially going out like staying out well initially it was the polar bear yeah of course uh, no question about it and and the first actually the first night of the first winter expedition <laughs> Uh, we had been traveling up north on, on Spitsbergen, had been driving snowmobiles for, I don't know, 15 hours or so, was completely dead and exhausted, and came to this old, uh, like, trapper's hut. hut cabin thing, which is tiny. Uh, you know, there's a room for a bunk bed and a table. That's it. And one person can stand up. Uh, it isn't bigger than that. So we came there completely exhausted, parked the snowmobiles outside, uh, closed up the cabin, you know, shut the windows and locked the door and went to sleep 
and then and I guess that gives you sorry for but I guess that gives also gives kind of an an illusion of safety yeah like coming from our society where you lock the door and yeah. say now I'm safe <laughs> exactly yeah yeah no so we you know went to sleep and I I went uh, on the top bed on this bunk bed and it was like a coffin like space with you know a few inches of air uh, above my nose to the ceiling uh, and I woke up after I don't know uh, an hour or so by the ceiling almost hitting my nose because there was a bear on the roof jumping trying to get through um, that was my first night out uh, on Svalbard winter time <laughs> so what happened Well, it was, I don't know, it was an hour of chaos um, because we had shut the, all the windows or the one window so we couldn't see out. <laughs> Not the smartest thing. Uh, the polar bear, yeah, I tried to get into the cabin. Uh, started making noise, of course. Had done some research about how to, <laughs> you know, act. Uh, started making loud noises, you know, banging kitchen things and, and so on, screaming and banging the shovel in the wall, you know. But the, yeah, for a while the bear continued, the roof, then a wall, then another wall, trying to get through. Um, but then it became silent after a while, uh, and I waited a few minutes, and I was completely sure that the, that he had left. You know, so I opened the door just a little bit, uh, of course, with a rifle pointing out first. Uh, but I was sure he was gone. Um, but then around the cabin, there was this uh, wall of snow, kind of, that the wind had created. So just, I don't know, one meter away, he was standing uh, with his head low, staring me straight in the eye. I could smell his breath. Um, and it, it looked to me like an attack position. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I shot, you know, a couple of um, a couple of shots in the well, very close to him, you know. Um, and he uh, just kind of, uh, I don't know. He looked disappointed. I didn't scare him. Uh, he didn't become afraid and run away. He just looked disappointed and kind of, hmm, all right. And then he walked away. <laughs> <laughs> walked away out on the ice. Um, yeah, that's that That was the first night and the first polar bear. Uh, and then, yeah, and then when we came out, we also saw that he had eaten the seats because the seats on uh, the snowmobiles are made of leather. Um, look tasty. Yeah, they look tasty, and he had completely demolished them. So after that, there was, and then we were out for I think two months. Um, driving on very hard. uncomfortable driving. <laughs> uh, but I mean, that's I guess that's one of the things with the polar bears that they are on top of the food chain, so they are not really scared of anything are they no not really and the thing when you're really far out there and you meet a polar bear uh in most cases uh it has never seen a human being before so they don't really first they don't really know what to do you know all polar bears are curious and they live that's also the thing you know they live in a world which is all white basically uh, when things are good <laughs> mm. anyway um 
So when they see anything that sticks out, they want to investigate and see what it is. So um, they will come to you, you know, when you, if you're out there. Um, they do approach. Uh, very curious. What is the uh, what is the animal like? How would you describe the? I don't know the <laughs> the the mentality of the. Yeah, that's that's like asking, can you please describe the human being? Um, all polar bears are different. They are just like us. They are individuals. Um, they have, of course, some things in common. All of them. Um, they are curious, like I said, very curious. But then um, they're all different, you know. Um, some bears are super scared of you, very nervous, and it's impossible getting close. Um, some bears are just curious and want to check you out. Some bears are very hungry and very aggressive. Um, they're all different. Some have a sense of humor. <laughs> Can you give an example? Yeah, uh, I have this story. I think I've told a uh, hundred times. We have uh, there was this young, I think a three, four year old female or so that we were working with for a few days um, on the ice. Uh, she was super cool, uh, relaxed with us, didn't care too much about us for for long periods. And you know we were out on on snowmobiles and then. You kind of it's it's a little bit like a dance. You move back, you move forth. You keep a safe distance always. So sometimes you have to, you know, retract a bit if she comes, you know, too close. Um, so at one point I, I dropped a glove uh, on the ice, and there wasn't time to pick it up. Um, so yeah, I left it on the ice um, and drove back. I don't know, fifty hundred meters or so. And she uh, kept coming at us, and she picked up this glove and started playing with it like it was a football or a volleyball on the beach, you know, started really throwing it up high up in the air and catching it, playing with it. It was amazing. So she played with it for a while, and then she started walking towards me again with a glove in her uh, mouth. <laughs> you were playing fetch with it. Yeah, and then, you know, she came... Uh, and then again, she she almost came too close. I was just about to start driving away again. But then she dropped the glove on the ice, and she retracted a bit, leaving the glove on the ice in the middle between us. And she <laughs> lay down, and she looked at me, and then she looked at the glove, and then she looked at me, you know, just like my dog does. <laughs> so, you know, there are, you know, incidents like that also. They're very fun. What other animals do you uh, encounter out there? Uh, well, uh, on Svalbard specifically, we have reindeers, of course. Uh, we have the Arctic fox. Uh, we have lots of seals. We have walrus. Uh, and in the summertime, there come some, some whales come up there. Uh, like humpbacks and even blue whales once in a while. Lots of belugas. Um, and lots of birds summertime. Millions and millions and millions of birds. But when it comes to when it comes to animals you mm. uh, you focus and you document mainly the uh, the polar bear. Yeah. Right now uh, the focus is completely on the polar bear. But of course, you know, with 
documenting the world of the polar bear and the life of the polar bear, other animals come into that story, kind of, of mm. course. Um, but you, you've mentioned that you, of course, already told told us about one very close, kind of scary encounter. Do you, uh, do you have any other memories that stand out when it comes to... Uh, it doesn't have to be uh, dangerous situations, but I know when we met before, you, you told the story about... Uh, one very uh, aggressive male bear that came oh. very close and you tried to scare him off with a with a flare gun or something oh yeah um yeah i mean many because that's the a typical like you have a ordinary rifle but you usually also have a a flare like a, yeah, a, ba- a flashbang flare is yeah it's called a flare gun it's just the kind of gun you use uh, on the ocean if you're in you know mayday in a mayday situation i think most people have seen it um Uh, it's kind of a firework rocket that you fire, you know, into the air. You uh, fire so, yeah. for one, and then you have to reload and fire. Yeah, yeah. there's one at a time. Um, but most, you know, nine or I would say ninety-nine times out of a hundred, uh, there are ways to, you know, if you have to uh, make a bear, you know, move back or stop or so uh by other means than than guns or flare guns so um but yeah we have a flare gun and i think the incident you mean was um i was at this place a small island in the eastern part of of svalbard um and we flew out there by helicopter and as soon as the helicopter had left left us there where we were supposed to stay for uh, a few weeks started you know putting our gear into this uh, cabin that we had there uh there was a bear coming out from from uh, from the ice approaching us uh that's the thing also uh you know i said before that i've never had a, a single dangerous episode with a bear but that's when we're out actually working with them on the sea ice then you kind of are in in, in control you know But all the, almost all the, um, not so nice episodes have have been around camp, um, for various reasons. You know, there is more smell there also from everything that you have, um, food and, and all equipment and everything, and also it's 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 a place where the bear um, can kind of use the element of surprise often. Uh, but yeah, in this case, the bear started approaching, so I wanted to push him away. You know, we started doing what we usually do, which is just walk towards him, make yourself big and loud and, and kind of scary. When that doesn't work, you start making sounds with you know kitchen stuff. That doesn't work. You start continued coming closer. Then you know when it gets too close, uh, there is the flare gun. This rocket thing, so you kind of shoot it um, next to him or in the ground uh, between you and the bear. And when you have to do that, uh, you know that would scare the. Sh- you know, it's it's the kind of explosion that scares the shit out of anyone. It's a, it's a big bang and like a firework thing exploding on the on the ground. Um, it scares it scares away basically everyone and anyone. But this this guy he didn't care, so 
Didn't he just eat the... Yeah, I mean, this it's exploded uh, on the ice just next to him. Um, I don't know, shot number five or something. And he just looked at me and then he looked at this gunpowder ex- from the explosion uh, a meter away from him. And he looked at that and then he looked at me and then he went and ate it. He ate the gunpowder. And then he looked at me and continued walking towards me. And it's uh, kind yeah, of a statement. Yeah, it's kind of a statement. It is. That, that was a scary guy, really. Uh, so it continued for a while, and eventually, um, I had him. Yeah, he backed off and went away a bit. But then we were there for a few weeks, and for various reasons, I was the last few days I was there alone uh, on this island. Um, and I was waiting for a helicopter pickup, and then finally uh, they couldn't come uh, for a couple of days because of bad weather. Uh, so I was stuck there, but then finally the weather would clear up, uh, and I had this final night, <clears throat> and I was packing all the gear, making everything ready for the pickup, uh, and I was going to bed, and I was closing up the cabin, securing everything outside, and then I look out on the ice, and there he comes again. I haven't seen him during this time, but yeah, the last night, of course, he comes again. And I just, I don't know, I just knew that it was him. I saw him, I don't know, a kilometer away, and I just felt it. Oh, my God, there he is again. Oh, no. So we do the same kind of song and dance uh, for two hours. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, and it, it was one of those moments when you kind of connect to. This might sound very weird, but... Um, it was kind of like he was enjoying it, and he he knew what we were doing. I knew what we were doing, and we all we both knew how it would end, kind of. So it was this, you know, back and forth thing for for a long time, uh, with you know, f- lots of noise and expensive flare, <laughs> flare gun shots. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, then after uh, yeah a long time, he went out. Uh, I don't know, a couple of hundred meters away, and, and just laid down. And I was exhausted, and I had to sleep. So I closed up the cabin, and I went inside um, and laid down um, in this bed, which is uh, kind of next. You lay up against the wall, and the wall is like an inch thick. It's just a piece of wood. Uh, and I was exhausted. I was just about to fall asleep, and then I hear these uh, steps outside uh, next to me, like heavy uh, thuds, heavy, heavy paws approaching slowly. Uh, a very tired guy came, and then I hear a big bump uh, against the wall uh, next to me, and he. So we lay down side by side, uh, sleeping that last night. Maybe you know just a few centimeters away from each other. But you get, sometimes, do you, can you get a feeling that they are kind of enjoying company and kind of looking for company and uh, that they kind of, they they are willing to kind of create a bond of some sort? Yeah, yeah, actually, yes. Uh, that's true, yes. Um, it's kind of interesting. Um, but, you know, I've been thinking about it a little and if you look at the life of the polar bear, a uh, mother usually gives birth to two cubs, um, and they live together for two and a half years. Um, 
you know, and I've been, you know, working with these um, you know small beautiful families uh, many times, and you see how they live and interact, you know, with each other and these siblings, uh, the cubs. They play together all the time, all the time, and then after two and a half years, they split up. Uh, and a male polar bear specifically, he lives his life alone. Um, all his life alone. Um, so, yeah, you know, um, definitely. Especially young bears. Um, young single bears, you can kind of see that they are, some of them, you can get the feeling that they, like this bear with the glove that I talked about, kind of playful and looking for, you know, interaction Mm. Which is, you know, the polar bear is the it's it's a dangerous creature, so you shouldn't snuggle up. No, 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 no. You shouldn't play with them either. But you can kind of see that uh, sometimes maybe they are looking for company. <laughs> yeah. Um. And when it comes, to, not not going into like boring details, but but you you uh, the work that you are doing, you're you're dependent on. A lot of technology, mm. and technology seldom rhymes well with uh, freezing temperatures and and winds and so on. How how do you go about like working the logistics? It's got to be a, it's got to be a massive planning organization behind with, with fuel and the transportation and storage of everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when it comes to technology, the the main kind of issue. Uh, is is uh, the batteries of everything? Of course, we have uh, cameras, of course, but also all the other things like satellite phones and, and uh, things that we have with us. So take care of the batteries. That's you know the the number one thing. Um, and only put the batteries in the camera or the phone or whatever it is when you actually use it. And at all other times, we have it close to the body, uh, wearing them you know inside our clothing. Um, yeah, that's one thing. And winter time when we're out with uh, snowmobiles, usually um, one thing, of course, is the need of fuel. So if we're out for a long time, usually we drive out um, in advance first and put up like a depot um, of fuel in an area where we know we will be. So we have access to it. Um, and then travel around that um, in that area, so to speak. Uh, one of the the, the first project projects ended up with uh, a book called Vanishing Vanishing World. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the endangered Arctic. Yeah. What was the uh, the message of that book? Of uh, the purpose of that book? The purpose of, the, of that book was uh, to tell about the beauty of, of the Arctic and what is happening up, out there. Um, it was sort of a, a tale, a story where you uh, follow through one year um, through the seasons. You kind of travel through the Arctic from the polar night through, the, through midwinter and spring and summer. A year in the Arctic, kind of follow the light, follow the um, the uh, wildlife, uh, and so on. Um, yeah. uh, how was the the book received? 
It was a huge success. Um, it was published in, I think, 10 languages in like 30 countries or so. Um, you had exhibits and... Yeah, lo lo lots of things happened mm -hmm. around that book. And it was a huge success, uh, perhaps especially in, uh, in America, uh, but also other countries like Germany. Um, and uh, received praise from, you know, everyone, basically. Vanity Fair had a big piece on it. Oh, yeah. Washington Post called it majestic. Uh, USA Today picked it as the number one uh, Christmas present that <laughs> year, uh, as far as book goes, anyway. Um, all the major, you know, major, major media. Um, not only in America, but also throughout. Uh, Europe, um, all the big newspapers and everything kind of praised it, and uh, it did very well. Um, you have new projects up ahead, and you are w like within projects as we speak. Uh, how do you plan the work now, and 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 setting the goal when it comes to setting the goals for the future? Well, me and Melissa are now working on. You know, and Melissa is, is, is a photographer. Melissa, your wife and photographer. My 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 everything. She's not my wife yet. Okay, uh, okay. You know, <laughs> hello, Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> but she's she knows I'm gonna ask her. Um, yeah, she's my everything. She is the best photographer. I might be a bit biased, of course, <laughs> but she is the best photographer out there. Um, the best one I have ever met because she, because of who she is, uh, because she sees things in a way that I have uh, never seen anyone look at things. And you know, I see this every day. Basically, you know, we're out here around Stockholm. We're in you know the forest with our dog. We're walking the streets of the city. You know, and she takes photos all the time, and we come home, and she, you know, she shows me what, you know, some some shots, and I'm like, what, what is that? Did we, we see were that? there? <laughs> Did we see that? She's the photographer. Um, I just carry her stuff and make sure that we get to those places where we want to go. You know, and, and then you set her loose. <laughs> and I set her loose. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so yes, and we have, I mean, we have a number of things, uh, you know, in the works. We're working on on a book right now, um, which I'm not sure how much I can actually talk about right now. Uh, but it's uh, it's going to be a beautiful book, perhaps the best book ever made. <laughs> Setting the, <laughs> setting the goals high. Yeah, <laughs> of, of course, course. always. <laughs> no, we'll see. Uh, we have some amazing material, and we have a, a wonderful, wonderful uh, idea uh, and story. That's the thing with books. That's the thing with, you know, anything, uh, books and films, and uh, especially when it comes to books, uh, with nature photography, the mistake that many people do is that they think that the book is about the photographs. You know, many people, you know, amazing photographers with the most incredible photos, they, they pick the best photos they have and they put them together in a book. Uh, and that might be beautiful, but, you know, I believe that a story, 
uh, is necessary. Um, and I prefer perhaps to think of a, a book a little bit like a film. You know, you need you need the story. Uh, and even if it's, you know, uh, I mean, who wants, you know, if, if you like action films, would you like, you know, an, a, a two-hour nonstop gunfight or you know, people kicking each other. No. You need breaks and you need, you know, you need highlights and ups and downs and a beginning, a middle and an end. So, and that's the thing. We talked about Vanishing World before. Um, you know, I think that book has something like 120 photos. I would say out of those 120, 10 are superb, world-class another 20 are excellent and then there's a, a large number of not so good photos but they are necessary to connect you know uh, point A and B and C and so on uh, they're important for the story um, so yeah that's, um, uh, and, and you I don't know if, if this is I don't know if this is something that you can you can you can talk of, but I know that you have something going on with uh, Paul Nicklin as well. Uh, I don't know. Yes, yes, maybe we do. that's not official. <laughs> no, it's not official, but it is not like a big secret either. Um, we are going um, on a three three week expedition together in May. Uh, me, Melissa, and Paul and Christina Mittemeyer who is um, Paul's partner and also an amazing photographer. Um, and they work for uh, their new organization, Sea Legacy, which is uh, doing some amazing work uh, for the protection, protection of our seas, our oceans, uh, where, of course, the Arctic and, and also the polar bears is, is um, an important part. So we will be exploring... Uh, the waters around uh, Svalbard uh, for three weeks in May, uh, working with polar bears specifically. Uh, and hopefully it's going to be uh, incredible. Well, it's going to be incredible, without a doubt. Um, uh, is, it, is, it difficult to, is it difficult to kind of walk the line when it comes to these long, long-term projects? Is it difficult to... Uh, because it might be, I don't know. I guess like it's not it's not uncommon if like from 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 the moment you start until the for instance the book is published, it takes like five, six, seven years or something. Mm. Is that a is that a challenge to you kind mean, of to kind of endure? You mean financially or well both? I mean huh? that's uh, this. I guess that's a, a major part of the project, of course. Mm. Uh, to to kind of um, to have the economic yeah. uh, setup and the uh, mental setup. Yeah, to be yeah. prepared for it because it's a long haul. Definitely, it's a, yeah. It's I mean, it's very different from from what you would call a normal job, I suppose. <laughs> Financially, yes, of course, that's one thing because you don't have your, you know, monthly uh, income or whatever. You have a paycheck once every you know three or four or five or six years or and yeah some other paychecks in between. But it's very. Um, yeah, it's very different, of course. You need to plan it well. Uh, of course, that's one thing. The other thing is that you you don't really have, um, at least it used to be like that, you know, that you don't have the feedback that you kind mm. of 
that can be de- important. Um, you know, feedback on what you do. Uh, of course, now now we're in a kind of new world, and that's also why I'm using Instagram <laughs> uh, a bit more uh, now. Uh, because but does that correspond well with your with your with your work and your vision to, to work with uh, with with social media like that? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, it's a it's a way to to spread an important message, of course. Also. Uh, um, You know, I think it's wonderful. Um, I try to share, you know, the message about what is happening. Um, some of our photos, we try to keep the some, of course, uh, unpublished because mm. we have to. But yeah, we try to show a peek of what we do. Try to um, tell, you know, the followers that we have about what is happening. Um, You know that's one thing, and then the other thing, of course, it's it's a way of kind of getting feedback. Um, you know, I mean, likes and comments and so on. That's one thing, but you also actually get in touch with some interesting people, um, like you and I. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> it was through the Instagram. Account, yeah, I think actually. so. Yeah. Yes. So you see what I'm talking about. Yeah. 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 yeah totally. <laughs> um, have this changed your perspective of? Not only your your own life, but life in general. Like this, both this change uh, from your perspective, like leaving the the your your past life behind you and entering something new, but also to live close to these animals and and to see the change going on. Have have you uh, gone through some kind of metamorphosis? Metamorphosis. Uh, have you have you changed your perspective of life? About like what's important, and uh, it's oh, only it's yeah. only a small question about the. Yeah, yeah that's a <laughs> tiny little <laughs> a question. Tiny little, a humble. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. It's impos- I don't know. It's impossible not to get affected. I guess. Of course, I don't know how to answer the question except saying yes. Um, of course, it's changed me uh, fundamentally. Um, yeah. Are you scared? Are you more scared now? About the future than you were before. Yes, without a doubt, uh, without a doubt. You know, we're witnessing what is happening with our environment, um, and it's pretty. Like I said, it's brutal. Uh, if you move around the Arctic and you see what's happening, it's pretty. It's pretty brutal. It's pretty sad. Um, it is, and then the other thing is, you know, when you spend. Uh, all this time up there, and then you, you kind of you come down to you know civilization between the, this this field work, um, and you know you start to think about uh, civilization, about the human being, and and what we're doing, and uh, you know I see this distance between man and nature. I think we talked about that before, but um, you know, a hundred or two hundred years ago, we were part of nature. We lived in nature; it was our home. Uh, and now, man has moved to the city. Uh, we live in our apartments, and we have nine to five five jobs. You know, we we work in an office 
uh, go home, watch Netflix, um, fall asleep and go to work. And um, nature is usually, for many people, something you know they see on television or perhaps plan a vacation to once a year or, or so. Vacation has been become um, something you know abstract. So that's also one of the things that we want to do. And you know that's what every, anyone who works in nature photography or film is doing is kind of um, shortening that distance uh, between people and nature and kind of make um, make them reconnect. That's actually um, one of the things I, I I often think of. One reason why I really like winters. Uh, this is in Sweden and this is in Stockholm, and uh, I like winter because it's it it's it's um, it it lets people know that humans are not in control. I mean, we have these I don't know smartphones and applications, and we have this this super comfortable isolated way of life, but all of a sudden you you get like 15 degrees below zero and you get a half a meter of snow and and everything stops and <laughs> and i think it's 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 very uh i think it's very important for a lot of people to to walk around like freezing like mm. realizing what what this is all about that you are not always safe and warm and and, and comfortable it's very important to sometimes feel uh I don't know, exposed. Yeah. And even though it's just 10 minutes for someone mm. like cursing their way to the subway, which rarely works. Mm. But still, those 10 minutes, I think, I hope that, that in a way it affects that person in a good way. Very, very, very good thought. Uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, I know exactly what you mean. I agree. Uh, it's, it's like nature saying, hello. I'm here. <laughs> I'm here, and I'm, I'm. I am the boss. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no matter what you think. Uh, but how do you keep? How do you keep hope? Uh, or hope? do you? Or do you keep hope? Of course, of course, uh, of course, of course. We we're gonna turn this around. No question about it. For for one simple reason, we have to. You know, there is no option. We have to do it, and uh, everyone has to be a part of it. And everyone will be a part of it. And we're going to fight until it happens. <clears throat> um, I guess that you are now working with, with, with your dream project. But if you could uh, allow yourself to let the imagination run wild, do you have any other dream projects or stuff that you would like to work with? I'm living the dream. Um, I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing. Um, you know, really. Uh, that's my answer. Um, I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing right now. Um, do you have... But, but but yeah, I mean, of course we have ideas. I have ideas uh, about we, what we want to do. Um, you know, um, yes. But it all involves, uh, so far, uh, the polar regions. Uh, continue doing what we are doing but you know in a bit different ways uh, and of course there are some um, 
things that would require quite big resources um, when it comes to logistics and also finances. Um, I have ideas about that, and I think it's going to happen. A lot of things is, are happening right now, I should say. Um, people are reaching out. Some amazing people are reaching out for us um, from the most uh, sometimes unsuspected places. You know, it's a, like we talked about Instagram. Um, we had... You know, last winter was Melissa's first winter on, on Svalbard, and she had this, you know, hope of seeing a polar bear. We had no plans, really, to work with polar bears last winter. Um, it was kind of more uh, like her first winter there and get a feeling for it and get out there and, you know, spend some time there. But then we came to the... Uh, to the east coast of uh, Spitsbergen and uh, drove out on the sea ice and we were approached by this most beautiful polar bear I have ever seen. Um, Melissa named her Helen. The mother bear. The mother bear, yeah. yeah. Um, and she walked towards us and you know, walked up to this piece of ice, an iceberg of blue glacier ice. Um, which was sitting, you know, just, I don't know, 100 meters away from us or so. And uh, Helen uh, walked up to that iceberg and climbed up the iceberg and just made the most beautiful posing um, for us and climbed down and started playing around with the snow on her back. And it was just magic. Um and uh, and then she walked away um and uh, that little you know incredible moment i don't know how long it lasted uh, 30 minutes maybe um but that was then then yeah we posted it on on a photo on instagram and it was picked up by leonardo dicaprio and i, I i've seen the i've seen the the post about this about helen mm. and the pictures it's it's out there it's online so uh yes. if you are listening uh to this using acast you can you have already seen the the images and i'll, yep. I'll link to that link to that blog post um do you have anything that you would like to add to kind of plant a seed of hope or something or plant a seed of inspiration um yeah i mean many people have said it but it's the truth uh, this 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 is our only home let's take care of it you know think of uh th- really seriously think about this planet as our only home uh, your home your apartment or house when you walk around the living room and you you know drop some coffee on the floor do you leave it there no you fucking clean it up so This planet is our home. Take care of it. Think of it as your home, because it is. Take care of it. Um, that's uh, it's it's quite simple, really. Thank you so much for taking your time. Thank you. I give my Thank best you. regards to the to the bears and Melissa and Melissa. Yeah, will do. <laughs> Thank you. Follow the podcast Husky and Husky International on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the handle Husky Podcast. Husky is supported by Naturkompaniet and the new Holiday Club in Åre, Sweden. The podcast is produced by Husky Productions. 
The music is made by Joel Mull. Mm-hmm.